All right, good morning. I'm going to invite you to come back with me in time. It was December 31st, 1999, the day the world had feared. It was about to be the turn of the century, and Y2K had been the topic of conversation for years. And this topic was one that incited fear, panic, and worry worldwide. What was going to happen at the strike of midnight as the world moved from the 1900s into the 2000s? Would the computers all freak out? Would the world come to an end? Would everything we had ever known change forever? Well, as it turned out, New Year's Eve in 1999 was just like any other New Year's Eve. The clock struck midnight and a new year began. Nothing horrible happened, all of the computers were fine, and the world kept going just as it was, just in a new century. Sometimes life brings us worry about possible hardship or trials that is not necessary. Y2K ended up being fine, nothing happened, but sometimes life does bring us hardships and trials that really end up happening. And when those hard times hit, how do we respond? Today we'll be picking back up in Acts 14 verse 21 and seeing what happens after Paul and Barnabas have left for Derby in verse 20. So if you've never met, if we've never met, my name is Ruth Zilka and I'm a member of the teaching team here at COV and this morning I have the honor of opening God's word with you his love letter to us. And I'm excited that we get to continue in our series in Acts together. So before we continue, would you just pause with me for a moment? I wanna pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity to study it together today. Lord God, I ask that you would move in mighty and powerful ways. I pray that you would penetrate hearts, that you would help us to Calm our hearts and our minds to hear the truth that you have for us. God, I ask that you would use me, that you would lead, and that you would move. Mere words um, hit us in a new and different way this morning. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to begin in Acts chapter 14, verse 21, what we just heard. All the scripture will be up on the screen, so you can follow along there or in your Bible with me this morning. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. So we, first of all, we're going to pause right here. I know we haven't even gotten through the first verse, but it's important for us to look back and figure out who they are and what city is being referred to. So context is so vitally important when we study the scripture. And so it's important that we need to go back a few verses so we can remind ourselves about the context and exactly what happened before verse 21. So let's go back a couple of verses to Acts 14, 19 through 20. And this is what it says. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. 
So from verses 19 and 20, we can assume that the city in verse 21 is Derby, and the they from 21 is Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, won a large number of disciples while they were in Derby. The truth of the gospel penetrated hearts. And Paul and Barnabas were the messengers God used to bring this truth to these people. So let's finish up verse 21. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Paul and Barnabas had had this incredible impact in Derby, and now they were heading back to the places where they had already been on their missionary journey. They were headed back into the cities where they were persecuted, to the cities where there had been danger, and to the cities where their lives had been threatened. Now, okay, let's remember verses 19 and 20 that we just read. So the Jews that won the crowd over and stoned Paul, leaving him for dead outside of the city, they were from Iconium and Antioch. And the city where Paul was stoned, that was Lystra. So Paul was returning to the cities where people had tried to take his life. There was a plot in Iconium to stone Paul and Barnabas. And when they found out about this, they fled in Acts 14, 6. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconium cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they preached the gospel. Paul and Barnabas may have fled to save their lives, but they were willing to return even when the threat was still there. They sought out gospel preservation over self-preservation. They were willing to go back into the hard for the sake of the gospel. Are we willing to go back into the hard for the sake of the gospel? Or better yet, are we even willing to go into the hard in the first place? Paul and Barnabas were willing, and fear did not, could not stop them from sharing the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. How he came to this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life, died the death that you and I deserve, and defeated death by rising again. The good news that had changed and transformed both of their lives propelled these men into danger, into the hard and into the scary and into the life-threatening. And can we also just pause for a moment and recognize the fact that Paul was stoned in verse 19? I mean, he was stoned with like big, huge boulders. They weren't throwing like tiny little pea-sized pebbles at him. Okay, these were big, huge stones and he was left for dead. That's how injured he was. And what do we read in verse 20? What did we just read? But after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. It had to have taken a miracle for Paul to have the physical strength to go to Derby the next day. And it wasn't like he was calling an Uber to pick him up and to drive him there. Okay, he had to walk. And it was not a quick walk. It was probably about 60 miles. 
60 miles. Do you know how long it takes the average person to walk 60 miles? I looked it up on my map on my phone. It takes about 30 hours. Unless you're walking like Chris Paul in the State Farm commercial where he's speed racing, now he's switching. Anybody seen that? No, a couple of people are. (laughs) Okay, if you're walking quick like that, it would maybe take you 20 hours. That's a really, really long time. And he had just been stoned. That was a really, really long journey. And Paul could have taken the easier road and gone back to his hometown of Tarsus or even back to Antioch where he and Barnabas were sent from. But instead, he went back into the heart for the sake of the gospel and for the encouragement of his fellow believers. All right, so let's read Acts 14, 21 and 22 again in in its entirety. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas went back to the cities where they had been persecuted and their lives had been threatened so they could encourage the disciples or the fellow believers in those cities. Their words were filled with life experience and truth. We will have to face hardships in this life to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, they are not saying that salvation comes from suffering. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is, a, it is the gift of God. Paul and Barnabas were not talking about salvation here. They instead were reflecting the idea of sharing in Jesus' suffering as we wait for eternity Suffering does not bring salvation, but we are also not promised a life free from suffering either. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew suffering. And he knew Jesus had suffered for him just as Jesus suffered for us. He took our rightful place. He took on our pain. He endured suffering on our behalf. Paul understood that this, in this life, we will face many trials. And as Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We serve an almighty, powerful God who understands what it means to endure hardship. And he has a deep love and compassion for us when we endure these trials. The lost one, the lost one, the lost one, the lost one, the loss of the loss of the loss of a dream or a home or a friend. Hardships can be relational, physical, or material. Sometimes hardships are the results of our own choices. 
Sometimes they're the results of the choices of others. And sometimes hard stuff just happens. Sickness happens, death happens, relationships change, jobs can get hard, life might not look like we thought it would. But whatever we are enduring, Jesus sees it all and he cares. Now we don't want hardships, but they are promised to us. And God uses them for our good, our growth, and most importantly, for his glory. Paul writes more about suffering in his charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. This is a little longer of a chunk of scripture. So if you would like to look up this uh, passage in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1156, or I would encourage you to follow along with me in your own Bible. So it says this, You, however, know all about my teaching, about my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Do those cities sound familiar? (laughs) The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil doers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have, have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We must know the truth of the scriptures, so when hardships do hit, we find strength, peace, and comfort in the fact that our Savior understands Far too often, before we even get to the hardships in life, we're distracted. And we aren't serious about the word. And far too often as well, it is the hardships that bring us to our knees and get us back on track. But what if we were on track before the hardship even hit? How much better prepared would we be to endure, to find joy, and to point others to Jesus? We are called to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. James, the half-brother of Jesus who watched his brother and savior suffer, wrote these words in the book of James. James tells us to consider it pure joy whenever we face and experience trials, not if we experience trials. Life is hard, but Jesus is good and his joy is real. Choosing joy can be hard and it is far easier while much less productive to sit and wallow in our pain or our sadness. 
I know for myself, I've struggled with this recently. You see, this summer was hard, and my family experienced a lot of loss. Loss after loss after loss. And all of our loss was relational. Some relationships changed because of location, and other relationships were lost because Jesus called some faithful women home. But it was all hard, and honestly, it still is. You see, this past spring, I felt like life was kind of turning a corner. Things had been hard for a long time. We'd been walking through a lot, and it kind of felt like in spring there was a breath of fresh air. Like there was some excitement and new energy, and then June hit. And we experienced loss, a lot of loss, in about a six-week span of time. In July, my husband Kyle lost his grandma on the first day of July, and I lost my grandma on the last day of July. It was a month of hardship that was bookended with loss. And grief is a tricky thing. It creeps in in strange ways when you least expect it. August came around, and I went into full-on work mode. I'm a teacher. I teach college, and instead of dealing with and processing and grieving, I threw myself into work and prepping for my fall semester of teaching. And the less and less I poured, the more and more I poured myself into work, the less and less I poured myself into the word. I got out of rhythm. I got out of routine, and I lost motivation. Thankfully, I have some great people in my life who were checking on me, who were still willing to study the word with me even when I wasn't doing it consistently on my own, and who were asking me hard questions that I needed to be asked. We need these kind of people in our lives. We need people in our lives to say, it's okay to not be okay, okay? But are you abiding in Jesus? And what I mean by that is, are you spending time in the Word? Is this book something that is vitally important to you? Are you abiding in Jesus? It's okay to not be okay, okay? But we need to be abiding. Hardships will come. And when they come, we need to know the Word. So we have a firm foundation in our hearts and our minds. Now, I knew the truth, and I knew Jesus was patiently waiting for me as I chose to do things like uh, binge watch a TV show or um, get up early in the morning and exercise instead of reading my Bible. Now, neither of these things are inherently bad, but when they become the coping mechanism instead of Jesus, that's when they become a problem. Sometimes when we are in the middle of a hardship, we can lose sight of God's grace and his hope and his joy, and most importantly, how he can get the glory through our pain. God uses trials to shape us, to grow us, and to teach us. Romans 5, 1 through 8 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will, for, will, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul and Barnabas understood how suffering produced perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Why else would they have been willing to return to cities where their lives had been in danger, except for the hope of Jesus and the truth of the gospel? They knew there were believers who needed encouragement and who needed leadership within their churches. Let's get back to Acts and pack, uh, pick back up in verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Paul and Barnabas didn't just encourage these churches with truth. They also appointed trusted elders to take on leadership roles within each church. This process was one that they did not take lightly. If you remember the verse that we just read, it said that they spent time fasting and praying and they committed them to the Lord. Now the role of elder is one that is highly still important within the church today. And do you know that we have some pretty awesome elders here at COV? And I happen to think that one of them is pretty handsome, which is not weird because I'm married to one of them. <laughs> These men lead our church. They pray for our church. They make hard decisions for our church. They hold the staff accountable. They help cast vision. And they do all of this behind the scenes. And they do all of this knowing that one day they will be held accountable. Let's read what Paul wrote in Titus about appointing elders in chapter 1. Why, this is why I left you in Crete. Paul's writing to Titus here. So that you might put what remain, remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to tar the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Those are some pretty high standards, aren't they? But here's the good news. There was only one perfect man who walked this earth, and that was Jesus. 
And what I see when I read these verses is lifestyle, yes, but most of all, I see heart condition. The elders at COV do not have the same authority as the apostles, but they are led by the same spirit and the same scriptures. The men we have leading our church are not perfect. They are not sinless and they are not without fault. But they have hearts that desire to watch God use COV. They have hearts of surrender and trust and faith in their savior. God used Paul and Barnabas, normal, regular, sinful men, just like God uses elders of today. And the thing is, they were all willing. They are not perfect. They are not more spiritual than any of the rest of us. They are just willing and they are committed to serving the church. And do you know what our role needs to be as non-elders? We need to be praying for these men. That is our role. We need to be asking God to give them wisdom as they lead at church and in their homes and at their places of work. We need to ask the Lord to guide them, protect them, unite them, and give them wisdom far beyond their own human understanding. That is the body of Christ at work. The entire body working together, just as our physical bodies work together, one part supporting another, so that the entire thing works in unison. We need elders in our church, but we also need to be committed to pray for these men along with the other leadership within our church. Ministry is no easy task. I've seen it from the viewpoint of a pastor's kid, I've seen it from the viewpoint of a church staff member. I've seen it from the viewpoint of a volunteer ministry leader. And I've seen it from the viewpoint of an elder's wife. Ministry is hard. And we need to point one another to truth. Pray for one another. And also encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 16. I'm going to read you the ESV version. Uh, it says this, it's up on the screen. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and ad who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We need to hold leadership in high regard. Encourage one another. Be patient. Help those who need help and to give thanks in all circumstances. Paul and Barnabas were setting up leadership to help the church thrive, to stay healthy, and to continue to spread the gospel even when they were not there with them. So let's see what happens next as these men continue in their travels. 
After going through, through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Paul and Barnabas continued preaching the word and traveling around before their work was complete. Altogether, Paul and Barnabas traveled more than 700 miles by land and 500 miles by sea. What an incredible journey. Now, our passage today is only eight verses, and I think it's easy to think, well, wow, that probably didn't take very long. But they went back to the place that they had already once been, and that was not quick travel. It was long, hard, tiring travel. But it was all for the sake of the gospel. Let's jump back into verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Paul and Barnabas finally made it back to the city in which they were commissioned. From the research I did, it appears that this missionary journey could have been somewhere around a year and a half, possibly two years. So we read about them being sent in Acts 13, 1 through 3, which I don't, we studied that a while ago. Who knows how long ago that was, right? Uh, many weeks ago. But these men had faithfully finished the work they had been called to. The work that they had been set apart for. And what did they do when they got back? They gathered the church together. And they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. They gave God all of the praise and the glory for the miraculous ways he had used them. They took no credit. They pointed everything back to the work of their Savior. And then they stayed for a long time. After such a long journey, they deserved some time in one place. And during this time, it was likely that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. So even though he was not traveling around at this point, God was still using him right where he was. This first missionary journey of Paul's took time. It required faith and trust and hardships, but God used it. And just like Tim said last week, fruit doesn't grow overnight. So I have a lemon tree in my backyard, and I bought it on a whim one day uh, when I was at Costco where um, a, a six-foot fiddly fig tree and an eight-foot floating island somehow also ended up in my cart. Um, but I love it. I love this lemon tree. And it's a Meyer lemon tree. I grew up with a Meyer lemon tree in my backyard when I was a kid. In fact, that tree is still in my parents' backyard today. And I steal lemons from my parents' tree all the time. And do you know why I have to steal lemons from my parents' tree? Because my tree still has not produced usable fruit. 
Okay, this summer, finally, it had some fruit on it, but you know what? It's all still green. Fruit takes time. The tree had to mature. It needed to be repotted. It needed to be watered. It needed to be taken care of and pruned. And spiritual fruit takes time too. It requires watering. It requires pruning through hardship to grow. Paul and Barnabas knew the danger they faced returning to those cities. But they believed they had a responsibility to encourage the new believers and they trusted God could use and grow them through trials. Are we encouraging new believers? Do we even know new believers? Are we encouraging longtime believers? Or are we just allowing our crazy, busy schedules to prevent us from even looking outside of ourselves to see what other encouragement other people might need? Far too often we allow our busy schedules to distract us. And we just go about life without looking for opportunities to encourage the people around us. Hardships will come. And when they come, what will be our response? When it is your hardship, will you choose faith and trust and joy? And when it is someone else's Hardship, will you choose to be the one who reaches out and encourages? We all have a role to play when it comes to hardships and trials in life. Because odds are, if we aren't in the middle of a trial, someone in our life is. And we can be an encouragement to them. Or if we are the one in the middle of a trial, look up to the Lord, out to others, and down to his word. Surround yourself with people who will point you to the truth. Tell them what's really going on and get firmly grounded in the truth of the scriptures. The incredible thing is, if we are willing to vulnerably walk through trials together, how much more opportunities do you think we will have to give God all of the glory for how he is using us and growing us and the fruit that he is producing in our lives? But it takes us being willing to say, I need you, Lord, and I need other people, and I need your word. Hardships will come, but the Lord cares deeply for you, my friends. And let's make sure that as a church, we are being the hands and the feet of Jesus and kindly and compassionately and graciously loving one another no matter what life brings our way. Unless Jesus comes back, which he will one day, 
the world will keep going. And we are here for a reason, to be witnesses to the truth of the gospel and the Lord's work of transformation in our lives, even through the trials. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the encouragement um, and the incredible journey that you took Paul and Barnabas on. Lord, may we be people who, as we walk through hardships and trials in life, find peace and joy and hope and trust in you. God, I pray that as, as a church, we would be willing to encourage one another. Lord God, that we would be looking for the people who maybe are struggling. And God, that we would reach out and encourage them with truth. God, that we would be people who point one another to you, to the truth of the gospel, to the fact that Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life, died the death that we deserve and rose again. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that desire to reach out not only to our fellow believers, but to new believers or to people who do not know you yet. God, may we be messengers of the gospel and may we boldly proclaim how you have used us and grown us and transformed us through the hardships of life. We thank you that we can find rest and peace and hope in the fact that when hardships hit or if they are hitting now, that you are good, that your love is deep, and God, that you care so deeply for us. I thank you for this time in your word, and we give you all of the glory and honor and praise. In your name I pray, amen.